0: And actually it was specifically forbidden to like wander around the hotel like this, but we were doing it. So and then we try and call, we try start pressing the button. We're like, well, we're, you know, let's try and get the elevator back to us. But you know what? You can go to floor five, but you cannot come back from floor five. No matter how many times, you know, we're trying, you know, in 10 minutes past, we're already waving at these cameras. The Icelandic guys are trying to break the doors open. We hear some guards on the other side. <laughs> So I guess they realized that there are some strangers in this waiting room. Then one moment, the elevator suddenly arrives. You know, they sent it.
1: Hello, I'm Alan Hill. In this podcast series of The Nostalgic Vagabond, we're talking travel, all kinds of travel, with all kinds of interesting people from all around the world. In conversation, we'll share personal anecdotes, tales of adventure, and maybe misadventure too. Listen in for some unique cultural perspectives, tips from seasoned veterans, and an array of diverse experiences that have contributed to many life-changing journeys. Travel really is a privilege. We know that now. And if we can't do it right this very moment, let's talk about it then. Hey, where are you right now? On this episode of the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast, I talk with Whitney Saldava. Whitney currently works at NATO, and before that she worked as a journalist. You can just Google her name, and you'll be fed loads of articles in various works she's written. Being a polyglot and competent in six languages has no doubt helped in her career, though Whitney says the use of languages within her current role is a somewhat touchy issue. You'll hear more about that. In conversation, Whitney explains how she quickly grew too large for her native pond in Latvia, and since... Her travel addiction has taken her to over 60 countries so far. She always grabs specific souvenirs, and no country is exempt, no matter how difficult these special souvenirs can be to find. Whitney recounts the backstory on how she ended up in North Korea after completing the Trans-Siberian Railway. She speaks highly of a travel company called Lupine Travel, who set up her North Korean adventure for her. Having a travel company set up a travel itinerary for a North Korean experience is mandatory if anyone ever wants to actually get inside. I take Whitney through a nine round rumor busting routine and probe Whitney on things regarding clothing and customs in North Korea, religion in North Korea, how North Korean leaders are honored, and what kind of state surveillance exists, among other things. Whitney is well traveled and it takes a lot to deter her, but there was one time when she was pretty scared in North Korea at the Yanggakdo International Hotel, which is kind of like an island fortress for tourists in the middle of a river just outside the capital. The closest Whitney has come to South Korea, country number 60-odd, I suppose, is a demilitarised zone on the North Korean side, so no special souvenir from South Korea as yet. But in time, no doubt. Is North Korea a place to return to? Listen in to find out what Whitney thinks. Anyways, let's get to the conversation. Whitney Saldava, thank you for coming on the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast.
0: Thank you for having me. It's it's really great to be talking to you today from lockdown, but talking about far away, exciting destinations.
1: Speaking of lockdown, yeah, I'm locked down in Liverpool. So where are you locked down right now?
0: Oh, I'm locked down kind of northwest London in Harrow. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's just like zone six in London. So not too far, but at the same time, far enough to feel like you're away from the city.
1: Right. Yes, I understand exactly what you mean. Now, today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about North Korea. I've never been to North Korea, and you, luckily enough, you have been to North Korea. I was listening to Drea Castro's podcast, Roaming the Earth, and you were on that a while back. You touched on your experiences in North Korea, and I was thinking, oh man. I need to get in touch with this person, find out more. So I'm really appreciative that you came on today and could talk more about your experiences in North Korea. But before we get to that, I just wanted to get a little bit of background uh, so the listeners can know a bit more about who you are. You're originally from Latvia and now you live in the UK. What are you doing in the UK and how did you arrive here in the first place?
0: Well, I'm originally from Latvia, but I haven't been living there already for the last Ten or more than ten years. So I sort of left Latvia after high school, or almost after high school, to first pursue my studies in the UK. But since then, I've been living in seven different countries. Uh, But somehow, my road has brought me back to the UK, at least for now. So I work at NATO, which is a large international organization, um, which is kind of the the avenue that allows me to pursue such. You know lifestyle of travel and adventure, and gives me that international perspective every day, so that makes me want to explore more and more and i i'm I'd I say I'm happy in this in this world
1: you're a polyglot, aren't you? So how many languages do you speak? six nice
0: you know that keeps changing <laughs> it keeps changing because you never know when what level to say that you can speak a language right. So I speak Latvian, Russian, and English fluently, or at least I think fluently. Um, I'd say probably my two best professional languages are English and Russian. Latvian is sort of, it's my native tongue, but I, you know, I left after high school, so I didn't, it never developed this professional, you know, kind of professional language, you know, vocab, vocab. so I, I would never be able to go back, maybe one day, but... Be hard for me to go back and go into a professional world, so I'm probably most likely to stay away as well. And then I also speak Spanish, sort of okay level of Spanish, just come back from Costa Rica, practice loads, so I'm pleased with that. Chinese, I've studied Chinese at several stages of my life, you know, here and there, and then also some French.
1: Wow. I imagine having these language skills really helps you a lot when traveling and also I imagine at NATO too.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I think at NATO, it's it's more divisive, to be honest, you know, sorry to bring it in such a negative uh, world, you know. It's, it's sort of the Frenchies and the English speakers, there's always a war going on. <laughs> but if you speak any other language, you're just not understood enough, you know, so you kind of have to speak the English and French so there can be no division. Um, and now my French isn't good enough yet, so, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying. But traveling, you know, it changes your whole travel experience. You know, I've traveled to places like Mongolia, Russia, you know, even some places in the Middle East, you know, they speak Russian mm. or at least some generations speak Russian. And that makes such a difference. The experiences are completely different because a lot of these people, they don't even speak one word in English. You know, it's, it's a lot of people forget about that, that there are people, you know, the places, the local, the indigenous communities or communities in, in the countryside in nature away from the cities which is where, where you, where you want to go and explore, they don't speak your language. So if you don't speak their language, it'd be very hard for you to connect and to get some genuine local experiences. And I can confidently say my best experiences traveling have come from knowing the local language.
1: Yeah, I've had other guests on the podcast say the same types of things as you and They use the words that knowing at least a little bit of the local language gives you a more enriching travel experience. And you are, like you said, able to get in with the locals at a much deeper level and then feel the culture a lot more, be involved in the culture a lot more than if you were clueless as to what was really going on. Whitney, how many countries have you been to now? It's quite a lot, isn't it?
0: Yes. I think at this stage, it's 64. I tried to get to 70. I set this goal for myself uh, at the start of 2020 before I knew. I mean, none of us knew (laughs) before anyone had any clue about how how the COVID situation is going to develop. So I set this goal for myself and I haven't accomplished it. I'm at 64 now, even though I did manage to tick some new ones off last year in the summer when it was kind of COVID was on the low. Mm. And then I've just come back from Costa Rica, which was amazing. Uh, such wonderful nature and wonderful people but i'm hoping to get to 70 this year so that is my goal yet again
1: so you've just delayed your goal by one year due to covid and life due to covid what would you say Whitney, is the is the addictive element about travel for you
0: Hmm, the addictive element about travel that's that's a good way to put it because i you know you'd need to look at where. I started my travel. You know, I've always wanted to explore more. I come from a very small country and I kind of grew out of that pond, if you can say that, very quickly. You know, already in my childhood, I was just dreaming to get away, dreaming to travel and go and experience new things. I remember my first solo trip uh, abroad was when I was seven. Whoa. Um, You know, I convinced, I somehow convinced my parents to allow me, I mean, I just saw a poster in the school. I was like, okay, a trip to the Finnish water park, and and I thought, oh, Finnish water park, how cool, you know? You you know, you take a ferry because there's a direct ferry from Riga to Helsinki. So you jump on a ferry, then you go, get on a bus, go to a water park for you know a day, then go to some other like like a theme park for a day, and then basically you come back. It's like a three-day trip. <laughs> And I thought, how cool. And this was to meant to be like, like a family trip. But, you know, I was like, oh, I want to go by myself. I mean, why Why would you, you know, why would you want to come with me? I mean, are you interested in water parks. You know, my family was not interested in water parks, but they just let me go. You know, they found some other person from a parallel, you know, class that also was going. And they're like, oh, you'll look after her, right? So, yeah. I went on my own. It was a very scary experience because I remember, you know, I, I was I was seven. So I would like to think that I was not an adult, but I was independent in a way that if we, you know, I had my own money, like my mom gave me some money and it was my own, you know, I wasn't going to give it to some randomness to spend. So, you know, if I, if I chose to buy something in the steam park, I would have to live with the consequences. I don't have, you know, left for a an ice cream later or even ask even buying something on on my own in english i mean can you imagine this it was unimaginable i remember how scared i was to go to up to ice cream kiosk and ask for i remember i was practicing i was in the queue with the rest of the children of the group and i was like okay one ball one (laughs) ball chocolate one ball chocolate you know i was really i was i was practicing saying this to the lady in the kiosk it's just such a vivid memory it was so scary for me but it's so cute right and then I remember I succeeded and all the other was like yeah good job Whitney you know you did it I was like yeah it was cute
1: did you remember to say please
0: uh yes I I did say please I did say please of course of course good (laughs) I did say that I I knew this I knew that you know and then well I guess it's, it's chasing that adventure and that's what's always stayed with me and I remember you know I kind of grew up and we didn't have a lot of money to travel anymore because the family situation changed you know my mom divorced and we were kind of suddenly left with a single mom you know four children so it was a very different situation but then when I left for the UK it really really invigorated my belief in the fact that anything's possible that you know all the borders are open for you And I worked, you know, I worked all the way through my university. And I remember in the second year of university, I was like 22, 23. You know, I got enough money and I signed up for this exchange program. I teach English in China. And I went for this program and it was, you know, the whole summer experience in China. So that's what really then invigorated my love for traveling, especially solo travel. You know, I just loved Mm. going to new places. I loved experiencing things. You know, I didn't have to compromise with any on anything i could just do what i wanted meet new people you know forge new friendships and new experiences but i think it's that adventure seeking seeking new new experiences that's really important to me
1: it seems like you've been developing this trait even as a young girl as a seven-year-old growing in your independence growing in your sense of adventure and just growing in the the want to throw yourself into new situations outside your comfort zone and now you've been to 64 countries hoping for 70 the journey continues when we go traveling a lot of people like to buy things to remember their experiences and remember their adventures like souvenirs personally i don't buy things per se i take pictures and i make friends and i have a very good memory so I can build stories in my mind. The main reason why I don't like to buy too many things is because they're kind of bulky and they can kind of become like excess weight in my bag, especially when I'm doing a long journey. However, Whitney, you have a very interesting souvenir collecting habit. Can you tell, tell about uh, what kind of souvenirs you collect and how you go about that?
0: Well, one thing that I must collect from every single country where I go and this is if I knew to go to a new country. It's not if I go for a city trip, you know, to a country I've already been to. But if I go to a new country or a new kind of self-proclaimed country, or so, uh, <laughs> it also counts. <laughs> so one thing that I bring from every new country is a sticker. And I place that. I have a pink suitcase. I place that on my pink suitcase, you know, and sometimes I let my travel partner, whoever I've gone with, you know, a friend or a group of people or my boyfriend choose where that sticker is going to go. And there are no, there's no more space. So they're starting to overlay quite a lot. So that's one thing I definitely must bring from every new country. But another thing that I like to buy, and this is totally opposite from what you're saying, I like to buy big things you know i and i don't always carry them with me some places offer you to ship them you know i've never had enough money to actually do this but <laughs> you know i imagine one day i will go somewhere and i'll say like yes i want this chair or this table ship it to me you know one day i i, I i'll I'll get there but normally you know shipping's like 300 i'm like no <laughs> but you know i've brought back lamps and i've brought back i've brought back uh, like side tables and Dishes, etc because I always like to have something in my home reminding me every day and not in a display kind of case, but I, I like to use this stuff. You know, I like my house. Maybe when I'm an old lady, I get some guests or my grandchildren are coming to visit and they're like, Ooh, grand, like, what is this beautiful corn with this, you know, animal at the end? I'm like, wow, it's from Africa or whatever, right?
1: Mm. What has been your most difficult sticker to collect?
0: Ooh, so a lot of countries you can't really buy stickers in you know it's more popular to have these patches that you sew onto your backpack Mm -hmm. i don't like that because you can't really have a collage it's just very straightforward you know lines and you can't have one over the other it it doesn't offer a lot of place for creativity and also i'm not a backpacker you know i i I have a weak back. I could say it I hate backpacks. <laughs> so, you know, I'd prefer a wheelie case. Yeah. So it's definitely also more convenient for me. But if I can't find a sticker in a souvenir shop, and this would normally be the first thing I need to go and look for. I would go into many different souvenir shops because I know how hard it is to get it. So I get it towards the beginning of my journey. So then I can relax. Mm-hmm. But if I can't find it in a shop, there have been a couple of places. North Korea was one of them. I couldn't find it. I had to go for a magnet, which I then converted into... I just took off the magnet at the bottom and I put some double-sided tape. Same in Vietnam, but just because I was in a location where there weren't a lot of souvenir shops. But the hardest one was in Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find any souvenir shops at all because I was in a city that's not a touristy city. I was more in like a commercial city. I was in Astana. It was You know, yes, okay, there were maybe were some souvenir places, but it was minus 30. It was snow blizzard outside. I wasn't going to go exploring, okay? (laughs) Kind of went from place to place to place. You know, I wasn't going around the main avenue strolling down. No one was doing this. You know, even when you open the door, like inside of the lobby, they have this kind of double door system everywhere because inside of the lobby there was a pile of snow. Basically, just from each time someone opens the external door, it blows in a bit more a bit more snow each time, and then you open it, there's a pile. Um But anyway, I bought a pack of, not even in the airport, can you imagine? Not even in the airport, they didn't have stickers or, or magnets, nothing. So I bought a box of chocolate, and I cut out, it had a logo of Kazakhstan. I was like, yeah, but it said, like, premium, you <laughs> know, who cares? Just cut out, you know, the, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, Kazakhstan. So, and I made, I laminated that, and I made that into a sticker.
1: That's brilliant. So you're never, ever going to go somewhere for a first time without having at least a sticker or a sticky equivalent to put on your pink suitcase.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) And you know, this is not my first pink suitcase. I mean, before I had kind of like a cheapy case from Primark or something, also pink, but the wheel broke, one of the wheels broke and it wasn't really possible to fix it. And it was kind of falling apart at that stage and can you imagine, I had to transfer all my stickers onto my new suitcase, so I made sure I buy like a really good brand. that's hopefully going to last me a few more years, but I had to transfer it, and that was such a painful process. It's not easy to unstick a sticker and then stick it somewhere else.
1: Mildly terrifying as well that you're going to rip it, I suppose. Oh,
0: very terrifying.
1: <laughs> well, Whitney, let's move on to uh, talking about North Korea. I've never been. Uh, it's a place that I don't really know that much about which is why I'm very curious to find out from somebody who's actually been there on the ground and can tell me what your first-hand experiences were because when it comes to countries we get our information about those countries from the media from friends who have been there sometimes these stories we hear are true sometimes they're maybe slightly embellished or exaggerated by our friends and sometimes they're just complete falsehoods. They're they're just rumors that have existed and they've just been perpetuated through the voices of, of other people. What I like about people who actually go there is they can then see if these things that they hear are true or if it's complete bollocks because you've actually been there firsthand and seen with your own eyes. Why did you want to go to North Korea in the first place, Whitney?
0: So there's a backstory, not to North Korea, but to what I'm going to tell you. I remember when I was first, I, you know, I signed up for a study abroad program as part of my university, and I was about to go to Holland. So it's not that far; it's not that exotic. But I was put in a room and given a briefing on culture shock, and I remember laughing to myself. I'm like, okay, I come from a much further place than I'm, than than you know, than the Netherlands. Now I'm here in the UK. You're giving me a briefing about culture shock. Okay, ha ha, and. I, you know, and i like, at that stage, you know, I've been to China, you know, I've been to many different places. And I don't think I've ever experienced culture shock until I went to North Korea. Never. You know, I, I never understood what did I mean? Why did I say shock? Okay, culture discomfort. Yes, I can get that, you know. The culture shock was it something that really I associated with North Korea immediately. I remember I first entered the country and we I went in by train. Actually, let me start from the beginning. Um, no, you know what? I like that this way. Okay, so the way I entered North Korea was by train. And I remember when I first, you know, was on that border between China and North Korea, I experienced my first culture shock. I saw people carrying along a the platform. They were building a platform or more likely pretending to build a platform And they were carrying around these really neatly dressed border guards were pretending that they're building a platform the way they were doing it is carry around in this kind of 17th century stretcher some very mismatched pile of bricks. And they were just carrying it back and forth. I would see the same lady, you know, carry it forward, carry it backwards. And I remember at the border they told us, oh, just sorry for the delay, we're building this new international platform You know, and they're like, oh, okay, okay. And then my first culture shock came that they were putting up a show for us. And this is something that I heard a lot in North Korea. And this is also one of the reasons why I wanted to go there. I mean, one basic reason was because I was doing the Trans-Siberian Express and uh, I thought, why stop in Beijing? Why not extend it to North Korea, you know, all the way. And so I did. But another thing was I wanted to see that show that everyone's talking about. And there's definitely some truth to that. Travel there, you do see a lot of the show, but you'd have to be pretty daft not to be able to tell what's real and what's not. Mm. Um, this is how people say it's a show because it's obvious it's a show. And once once you see a show, you can very easily say see what's real. You know, we would be, for example, driving in a bus uh, towards the demilitarized zone or wherever, and the um, tour guide suddenly stopped talking, and she kind of like you know she stops talking, so everyone three like naturally, like, looks out of the window, right? Because she stopped talking, with, you know, she wants to stop paying attention to her. We suddenly turn out of the window, and we drive past this kind of group of workers in the field, and they are, like, waving flags, and they are, you know, like, playing the accordion, and there's a person passing a bag of rice to each other person, you know? And it was just so funny. I mean, <laughs> I, I can't, like, it was such an obvious show that I was like, okay, I'm glad I see this because it's so easy to spot. So it's, it's fun, it's
1: fun. Practically, Whitney, I've heard that, or I've read that it's quite difficult to actually get inside North Korea. So I was just curious about how you managed to do that. Was it difficult to get a visa? Uh, was it expensive? Did you have to maybe uh, go to the embassy in London and, and speak to somebody? What, like How was the process for you to get to to get entry into north korea
0: right i mean you need to go with a tour agency there is no other way or the ways that there are, are very difficult you know you have to be sent there by work and then you have to go to their local embassy in the nearest country which isn't even everywhere but i went to an agency and they made the visa for us and the way they do the visas they do the visas on the chinese border ah. so you have to arrive the day before you have to provide all your documents. I mean, they indicate that they've sent all the information. So they send them the information by post or whatever, email maybe even, to their consulate somewhere in China, saying, expect this group around these dates. And then they're supposed to make checks about you. So there's a form you need to fill out. It asks you about your occupation, They needs to swear that you are not this and that, you know, for military or whatever, um, not here to spy on North Korea. And then they check it, and then you get your visa when you get to that border town in China. This is one of the reasons why that specific trip takes through by land. And it's also, I guess, much cheaper and much cooler, I have to say. So it it wasn't uh, so difficult because, in fact, they didn't even check my credentials. All it would have taken them is one Google search of my name and surname for them to realize I'm a famous journalist, you know, I'm all over the Internet. But they didn't even try that. So, well... I got to as a student, which I also technically was at that time. So I wasn't lying. I was just, just was not telling the full truth.
1: Hmm. How much time passed from when you decided that you wanted to go into North Korea? You were, you were actually in China and you said, I'm going to do this to the time you actually entered North Korea. Was it a matter of days or was it the next day?
0: Oh, well, I, you know, like I said, I was going with a Trans-Siberian. I had already decided I'm going to go there already weeks before I started my Trans-Siberian. Because that's the kind of you know you need to pre-book your your tick your tickets and everything you know you can't I, I don't know if you can I guess you can decide last minute if you want to go to China but you'll probably have to go via the flight and well via, via their own their own country led travel agency which is something like I don't remember what it was called but they have their own North Korea state led travel agency, which I guess you'd have to go through. While we went through a Chinese travel agency, that mostly deals with business customers coming into China. It's very smart of of that company to partner up with with the Chinese.
1: Right, so it seems that if you're trying to access North Korea through China, that is actually quite feasible, and that's what you're able to do. Yeah,
0: I went with Lupine Travel. I can really recommend them, and they have a very affordable... North Korea program, sorry, North Korea itinerary. So it was, I paid back in the day, and this was 2014, and I paid something like 500 pounds. And that included all food, all accommodation, five days in North Korea, train in and out, you know, all tours, everything, 500 pounds. That sounds good. I think they've upped their prices at this stage, obviously, but it was the first budget travel agency to go to North Korea, and, and I was super happy with it.
1: Right. You're telling me that you were, I guess, forced to enter with the supervision, I guess, of a travel agency. So, had they built you an itinerary for your five days there? And was it very strict that you had to keep to it? Or were you allowed to wander off on your own and see a few things?
0: You're not allowed to wander anywhere on your own. When they, I mean, the itinerary was completely set. And there were constantly, there was a chaperone, you know, at some stages we even had military chaperones, you know, it was like a group of tourists moving together, and there was no individuality. You even couldn't stay in a room by yourself. You were paired up with another fellow tourist to share the room, you know. (laughs) And all the tourists stayed in the same hotel, it's on a little island in the middle of their river. So actually, you can't even exit, and military guards are guarding the exit. So there's a little sort of bridge, like a little land passage to get you onto the island, onto the tourist hotel, but you can't exit, you can't even leave the building, never mind the peninsula. There was no make your own. It's all whatever they say you're going to do, so you're going to do There were some choices, like they asked me, do you want to go to the circus? You know, you have to pay extra, etc., some people didn't some people they so there was choices of activities but it's all still pre-regulated
1: did you feel like a seven-year-old girl again like having to be chaperoned everywhere you go and n- not be allowed to do what you want a
0: little bit especially because when i travel i i mean it has to be a very rare destination where i'd go with the travel group you know where i would go with a with a guide maybe in some dangerous areas in the middle east i would i would take a guide mm. so I hadn't taken one, you know, since I was very young until I went to North Korea. And here again, I was, you know, in a bath with, with three chaperones.
1: Did you get to actually talk with them much?
0: With the chaperones?
1: Yeah, and the guides. Oh, were, they, yeah. were they willing to speak with you in English and um,
0: absolutely. be
1: quite candid with you? Oh,
0: absolutely. Um, they were very clearly spies or something like that. I mean, I so there were three guides in our group. That's because of the languages. There were three, uh, there were different languages in our tour group. So there was one old, very, very old, I was like 90 or 80, Spanish man. So he needed a Spanish speaking guide. So there was a Spanish and Korean guide there. And then we had two English speaking guides. And I remember one of them, she was so unhappy. It was obvious. She was talking to me because I had a really nice professional looking camera with a long lens and they were kind of suspicious of me, rightly so. (laughs) Um, so they kind of assigned her to me on one of the days as my private chaperone, even though there were 10 tourists always being everywhere together. But I remember we were talking and she said, oh, I wanted to be a teacher, but I didn't meet the necessary qualifications. So now I'm a tour guide. Ah, you know, she was so upset about it. She said, I wanted to be an English teacher. Now I'm a a tour guide and I can never move from the way from this. You know, she says, maybe if I have children, they will let me do a different job because you know, I have to be more stable, less traveling, Ah, oh, you know, like she was really kind of frustrated with the system. But the other one, she was very brainwashed. And later I learned that she's the chief, because I saw a news program. She's the chief tour guide of all North Korea. So she was very, very brainwashed and she was kind of strict and yeah, she was constantly saying how evil America is. And, and if we try to question them, sometimes they would tell a story about their perspective of history. And then some of us would ask them, obviously, critical and challenging questions. And then they would say, that is not true. She was quiet, very much.
1: (laughs) Wow. Right, Whitney, it's time to do some rumor busting. Oh, let's do it. I went online beforehand and went and looked at a bunch of different blogs. And some things were repeating and some things were fairly outrageous. But I formulated uh, about nine rumors, let's call them. And I need you to let me know if it's true or false, and if there's any more details that perhaps I'm missing. So are you ready to bust some rumors? Let's do it. Right. Number one, are smartphones allowed in North Korea?
0: Yes, they are allowed in North Korea now. They weren't used to be allowed. Before, they locked them up in lockers on the border. But now you can bring in stuff, you can bring in your computer you know, you can bring in a camera, you can bring any technology because now they've learned it's actually in their favor and they would rummage through it, try and break in, try and steal information. So they let you bring it in, but there's absolutely no, there's no signal, no anything. So it will be just a paperweight.
1: They're useless.
0: <laughs> paperweight.
1: <laughs> Do they handle them as you enter? Do they look at them and take them apart or put them through a, a, a detector?
0: Uh, they collect it from us and then they give it back to us. But that's pretty quick. You know, that's that's like half an hour. They collect it from all the tourists. So I don't know where they, what they, they take them away and then they bring it back. But I don't know what they do with them.
1: Check for bugs.
0: Might, they might.
1: (laughs) Okay, number two. Does everyone in North Korea have the same haircut?
0: They have the same haircut and the same clothes. I mean, I come from the Soviet Union and to me, it's not entirely surprising. You know, When you are not allowed private industry, when everything's regulated, you know, there's a certain set of clothes for certain occasions and you wear a certain set of clothes. And if you have different clothes, then there's something, it kind of helps people to flush out those who are doing maybe illegal dealings with China, etc. So it's another form of control.
1: So if somebody wanted to express their individuality by being a bit different from the mold, that would be very frowned upon.
0: I think so, but I have seen that uh, happen. You know, for example, you know, when we were in the Capitol, I saw, for example, a young girl, she was wearing high heels and none of her friends were wearing high heels and she was wearing high heels and she was feeling so proud about it. But it was obvious that they are grown up high heels. You know, they were her her mom's or something because they were three sizes too big and she was just walking and they were falling off. But there's no problem because she's wearing high heels and the rest of the girls are not. So you can still express your individuality, I guess. Uh, you can find ways to do that. But I don't think it's necessary. And, and people are quite proud when they have items like that. For example, I remember we stopped by the side of the road to go to a cafe, just have a coffee break and, you know, a pea break or whatever, because we were driving on the bus to another, another town. There was a waitress and she carried this fake Chanel bag from China. It was very obviously fake, you know. It was like a little purse. It was like a little wallet. But it had a a wrist bracelet, so it was on her wrist. And she was even, whenever she was delivering the tea, like, she would not take this bag off. This bag was her proudest possession, probably. You know, she would keep it to her heart, you know, and she would constantly have this bag around her. She spoke suspiciously many languages. She really looked great, and I don't think she was a waitress, let's be honest. Mm. (laughs)
1: Number three... Can tourists handle the North Korean currency?
0: No, they can't. They're not allowed to handle North Korean tr- currency. However, they I have North Korean currency at home. You know, there are ways. For example, if you go to the currency exchange <laughs> and you give the lady a couple of extra, you know, or if she asks or takes a couple of extra monies from you, you know, higher exchange rate uh, unofficially, and then, you know, you get some you get some, uh, instead of her like splitting up the money, she would actually exchange it and give you some of the local currency. But this is, you know, between you and me mm. and probably they will never hear it anyway. But yeah, there's ways to obtain it.
1: Interesting. Okay, but it's not a commonplace thing like it would be in pretty much every other country. No,
0: but and also they're very peculiar about their currency. The reason why you can't handle it is because they have a lot of, they don't trust the foreign tourists to take good care of the money. The money, you can't bend it. You know, you can't put it in a wallet that that folds. No way. You can't fold it. You can't bend it. You can't tear it. It has to be, pardon, it has to be kept completely perfect and untouched and it looks new and it looks fresh and it just looks like it's just imprinted, even though it hasn't, probably. (laughs) So because it has those symbols on it, like the leaders and, you know, the nature and they take, they're very respectful of all of this. They don't trust the foreigners to take good care of such stuff.
1: And possibly put markings on their great leaders and their oh, great natures. Oh, goodness. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Number four, Whitney, can you be religious in North Korea?
0: Uh, I don't think you can because they were actually asking us at the, um, when we were entering, you know, on the border, they were asking us, do you carry in any Bible? Do you carry in any religious materials? And hmm. we had, you know, we said no. But then later it turned out that there was one Malaysian lady in our group and Turns out she, her English isn't so good, you know, and this is why there was special, uh, you know, one of the guides was also multilingual, et cetera. She didn't realize she had actually brought in a, a, a Bible because she was very religious and she didn't even understand the question. So they didn't, it's not like they, I don't know if they didn't see it. It's also in another language. How could they know if I brought in the Bible in Latvian? They would never be able to tell. Mm. But I don't think it's allowed for their citizens to read such materials.
1: Interesting. Number five, and I think we've already given this answer a stiff yes, but I'll say it anyway. Is it mandatory to have a minder from the state to escort you during your stay?
0: 100%. At least one. At
1: least one. Okay. At least one. Minimum of one.
0: (laughs) Minimum of one. Minimum. I've had anywhere between one and five.
1: And this one we touched on already as well, number six. Do you feel the whole place is like being in a theater show? performing especially for you the tourist the visitor i
0: don't you know yes there were these occasional instances but i don't find that the whole place is a theater show It is, you know of what you see five percent is a theater show of course the tour guides are doing their best to keep your attention not looking out the window when you shouldn't you know well, shouldn't in their in their eyes and they're trying to regulate your experiences as much as they can but at the end of the day the itinerary takes you to three different you know the one that i for example did takes you to three different towns it takes you on the road by bus by train i mean there's no way they can regulate all of this so no i would say it is it was much less like a show than i expected but there were very showy elements once in a while
1: hmm. uh, number seven do people all wear the same clothes, like a uniform? And I'm also curious, men and women, is it the same or do they have significant differences between what men dress in and what women dress in?
0: No, they all kind of look the same. Not in a not in a racist way, but I mean clothes, clothes, <laughs> clothes way. Yeah. Because, you know, I've seen women, you know, I have uh, photos, videos of women in black trousers and white blouses. Same as men, black trousers, white blouses. Uh, I saw, for example, a queue of people queuing outside for a bus. Do I know who is a man and who is a woman? They all, you know, when you pass someone in a blur, it's just a blur of black trousers and white blouses or shirts.
1: (laughs) Black trousers, white blouses. That sounds like the name of a band (laughs) or something. Exactly. (laughs) Number eight. This is interesting. Do you have to kowtow to the leaders everywhere
0: you go? Yes, you do. And you can't turn your back to them. So you even even if it's in a photo or if it's a wax statue would that's what surprised me the most because i remember we went to a wax museum for some reason it was very bad it was so bad oh, they had some celebrities and it was just so badly done <laughs> uh, it, was, it was more like a joke than a wax museum it was one of those horror movies but they in one of the rooms they had the le- wax statues of leaders and i remember i walked in i started walking around looking around but and I didn't realize that I didn't bow to them and I didn't, you know, bow upon exiting. And you also can't turn your back, so you kind of have to walk backwards. Mm. Very serious about that.
1: So turning your back on a leader or an image of a leader would be considered a huge sign of disrespect.
0: Yeah. If they're in, you know, in a full length image, okay, if there's a small photo somewhere in the room, I mean, you know, maybe you didn't see it, but mm. um, like they have photos in each uh, train cart uh, carriage in the tube. Um, you know, you can't help yourself but to turn the back on it at some point. But if it's, you know, like the center of the room, then it's there for a purpose and to be respected. So you can't turn your back on it.
1: Did you know this before you entered, or did you make that error? And somebody, or your guide maybe, or your minder said you must do this. Oh,
0: they briefed us. You know, they—they. They, I remember the first time we before we entered any room with with the uh, with leaders present in their mind you know they told us the rules that you when you take a photo you can't cut cut off their head or their feet it has to be in full length to bow you can't turn your back on them etc etc
1: and they were okay with you taking photos of the leaders or was that a bit touchy no
0: they were they were fine with it but they wanted to see the photos afterwards and you know if they felt like it's just the heads or, or, you know, you have cut an arm off by accident because it didn't fit into the frame. They ask you to delete it. So whenever you take any touchy photos, so they actually checked all our photos from uh, each day in the evening. They just go through our cameras. But of course, they didn't know that, you know, you maybe have another card, you know, etc. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the last one, which I'll have to be honest and say I didn't find on a blog. I made it up myself. Uh, but number nine, does North Korea have McDonald's?
0: No, no, that's, that's silly. <laughs> they don't have one. They don't have one. They don't, they don't even have anything similar. No, they don't have such a thing. They have lovely local restaurants, though. The food in North Korea was amazing. And we actually had somebody there. She was one person in a group. She was studying in South Korea. And then she had to go from South Korea to China and it's from China to North Korea to visit it. She wanted to compare both sides and mm. she said food is on par if not better than in south korea like that korean food you know obviously in south korea you can get you know whatever food you want but from the true korean food it was really truly beautiful and delicious and wow i love it
1: wow so i imagine there were no western big brand restaurants etc there
0: are no brands whatsoever on the streets you don't see a single poster uh promoting anything you see some posters you know keep working hard you know propaganda posters but there are no imagine if there was no private industry you know there are no shops with brand names there in fact i didn't see any single shop you probably have to go to a normal you know building somewhere inside a building there's a room full of clothes or something like that mm. you know so you there's no there's no private business presence whatsoever and all western influence is seen as evil so they try to stay clear of that and they're very proud of their culture, of their food, of everything, of their nature, which it admittedly is gorgeous.
1: Whitney, moving on uh, from our rumor busting to more sort of personal experiences from you, I was wondering if there was any time during the five days or so that you were in North Korea that uh, you ever felt scared or intimidated by anything?
0: Well, there was this one scary experience, which was in the elevator, but the whole story starts before the trip. as one Some of our fellow tourists, they had researched that apparently there is something called floor five inside this uh, tourist hotel. And upon you know arrival, we went into the normal tourist elevator, uh, public elevator, and we you know there's no floor five. It's only floor four and six. So I asked these Icelanders, and what is special about this floor five? And then they basically said, oh, well, we read it's a spy room. Apparently, this is where they handle all communications because it's such a tourist hotspots the hotel that you know they bugged all the rooms they have access to all their technology computers cameras phones whatnot you know that basically they kind of go through it and then they gather all their intelligence which then they send to floor five and then floor five it's like the analysis rooms or whatever so we of course were super curious to actually go and you know find this room room uh, sorry floor five and see what's going on there and somehow we did end up finding a staff elevator which uh, to which the doors was were unlocked for some reason where we suddenly see, you know, yes there's four or five in this elevator. So we didn't even make a lot of we didn't even think a lot about it. It's just we made an instant decision to go inside this elevator with me, these two Icelandic guys and and, and one British guy. So we go inside the elevator, press five and we kind of get out at floor five and there isn't much to see. There's two doors, two infrared cameras, one above each door and and, you know, and we kind of get out there as a little waiting room and, you know, we're like, okay, well, what's this all about? And the the elevator door kind of closes. Well, there was a the British guy has was keeping his hand in it, but it's such an ancient elevator. You know, I don't know what year he is like, probably like the middle of last century. The elevator was built that, <laughs> no, I, it's probably the case because it wasn't equipped with any senses. So if it doesn't close, it'll just keep crushing and crushing and crushing until it closes. So he was forced to withdraw his arm from that elevator door. <laughs> Someone to just drove away. Someone else called it to some other floor. We checked the doors. They were all locked. So we're like, okay, well, there's nothing to see. Let's go back. And actually, it was specifically forbidden to, like, wander around the hotel like this. But we were doing it. So then we try and call. We try start pressing the button. We're like, well, we're, you know, let's try and get the elevator back to us. But you know what? You can go to floor five, but you cannot come back from floor five. No matter how many times, you know, we're trying, you know, in 10 minutes past, we're already waiting at these cameras. The Icelandic guys are trying to break the doors open. We hear some guards on the other side. So I guess they realize that there are some strangers in this waiting room. Then one moment, the elevator suddenly arrives. You know, they sent it. Someone from the hotel management sent the elevator for us. We get in, we're like, four, fourteen, fourteen. 14, 14. This is where we were staying. 14, 14, 14. Of course it doesn't go where we want we don't control the elevator i mean what are you talking about so it took us down straight to the basement <laughs> and they were asking us all sorts of questions you know then they were like, kind of like questioning us you know are you here to spy you know like why are you coming here you know all sorts of questions but you know they they suspected that we're lurking around on purpose but we were so stupid and i think what also helped is that we're not american you know we're some latvian and iceland and you know, I mean, no one even knows these countries. I mean, who are these stupid, as uh, stupid as you know? So we did manage to get away with it. But it's scary at times because you hear all these horror stories of tourists getting arrested and killed and whatnot. So it was, it was touch and go there in my mind for a second, but I guess we weren't the first one to try and do this so maybe they knew how to deal with it
1: well if you were told the story by other tourists they've probably been in the same kind of situation themselves getting into the 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 elevator wanting to go up and then the elevator goes down and down and down and
0: down exactly but you imagine the fear in my eyes when it went to the basement that was not nice that was like, oh shit. You know. It's intense. And we were we were <laughs> deleting I was deleting all the videos on my camera. I was like, delete, delete, delete. Because in the videos I'm like, and today we're gonna explore the four or five. I'm like, no, Whitney, delete all these, you know, this this is not right. But the Icelandic guys were much smarter than me. They just hid the card. and they then they um pretended that their camera died, um, had the low battery. They're so smart. I deleted all my footage. I'm kinda of pers- okay. sorry about that.
1: So this is that special hotel you were describing earlier where it's in the middle of a river.
0: That's almost one.
1: like a castle with a moat surrounding it. That's it. Is that in um the capital? Yeah, yeah.
0: They would we would only stay there and we would go on an extremely long day trip. You know, they would only allow us to stay there. So you know, if we went to the dealer militarized zone, we went there and then we went back. We'd return late at night, you know, we'd return at night, overnight, you know, in the morning, but we would go back to the hotel.
1: So you only were able to stay in that one place the whole time so they could watch you?
0: I guess so. Or Interesting. Or maybe I have enough time with our technology.
1: <laughs> now, I believe, Whitney, you've also been to South Korea. I have not. You have not been to South Korea. No. But you've been to the demilitarized zone, which borders with South Korea, haven't you? And, and how was that experience?
0: It was quite fun to go to the demilitarized zone because... Apparently, what I've heard from the other tourists in our group who have been to South Korean side of the demilitarized zone, I mean, it's the same zone, but their attitude is so different. You know, I've heard that from the South Korean side, they are very respectful towards everything, like, you can't touch this deck, this is where the leaders, you know, signed the accord, etc., and then go the North Korean side, because they're so unhappy with the deal and what is going on. So they're like, just touch everything. Just take photos. You want to take a photo of you? Yeah, yeah, go on. But they even say, just go and touch the table. Sit down. You can walk on it. You know, like they're just so <laughs> rude about the whole place. And now you can see those like South Korean guards on the, they're always the guards watching each other. So they're like, you know, if there's a group of North Koreans, the South Korean guards will be uh, waiting, you know, outside. And then they would swap. And they're like, you can see them looking through the window angrily, you know, it's quite a surreal experience.
1: Was going there to the demilitarized zone something that you were forced to do as part of your itinerary or were you able to choose and go there on your own accord?
0: Oh, I wouldn't say we were forced. I think it's a really interesting place to go to because, you you, you know, you get to see, you get to hear about some things that that went down, you, you know, you're able to they give you a little binoculars, you can look at the other side, you know, it's. It's kind of a good experience, so I'm glad we went. Uh, but yeah, it was included in the itinerary. Mm. I guess, you know, the tour agency sets that. Since you're going everywhere with a group, you can't really choose your own places.
1: I mean, you're only there for five days, Whitney, but were you able to make any North Korean friends during your trip?
0: No, no, no. This is... Oh, I think this is an impossible feat. Um, you can't make any contacts. You can't exchange any contacts. They don't even have contacts to exchange with you. You know, there's no way to... There's no one that stays around you for long enough, you know, and the normal people, they don't speak English. So, however, this one of my fellow travelers, I was staying in the same room with a girl who lived in South Korea and she spoke Korean. So she was able to interact a little bit of the cleaning stuff and she actually had left some books and like she brought on purpose some books in and left them just openly on her, you know, on her bed. Hey, you know, here's some books about the world <laughs> and you know those books were clearly were touched and were read by maybe the cleaning staff or whatever so we hoped but you can't really make any any friends there
1: right i guess there's a language barrier already
0: then i think the thing is they were so apprehensive of having any any indication not indication but any kind of appearance that they liked us or we're going to be friends with us because I mean, we're white We might as well be American. You never know before you approach me and start talking to me. And I remember in the train station, when we were first boarding a train, you know, we were kind of like, you know, there was a group of people all queuing for the train. So we like approach with our suitcases and also start waiting for the train. I turn around in five seconds and all the people have cleared the way away. Like they run away from us. They, you know, they were suddenly like, you know, they were just giving us our space, you know, or even if our suitcase was near their suitcase, they would move away because any suggestion to the authorities or anything that they've been even close, maybe they would be blamed, oh, you know, you swapped suitcases or they put something in your suitcase, you know, you never know. It's such a controlled state. They were scared to associate with anything foreign. They're scared.
1: A lot more scared of you than you are of them, it seems.
0: We were absolutely not scared of them, you know. Um, there were some people on the train that were a little bit more open, you know, but I think there was part <laughs> I mean, there was this one young, young guy, for example, they were just sitting like in the smoking room, like there's a smoking car between the carriages, you'd be like a little smoking area. And some, some of our boys from the group were hanging out with them. And, you know, they'd be telling about their, how they go to China all the time, how their father is in this superposition, how they speak four languages, you know, or there was this one lady who she actually grew up in In one of these balkan states where they have the embassy so there's like the embassy daughter you know diplomat daughter so it's like okay so these are more spies planted to interact with us
1: (laughs) yeah that sounds crazy my favorite four all right whitney are you ready for my favorite four go ahead what is your favorite food or cuisine
0: oh undoubtedly georgian there is nothing better than georgian cuisine They just know what food is and what happiness is. And imagine a fusion between Middle East and Europe and Asia. It's got all of that. It's amazing. Mm.
1: What is your favorite souvenir?
0: Trying to think of a different answer than what I've given you before. (laughs) Do you want to ask me a different question?
1: No, that's the one you chose. So you have to make a choice.
0: (laughs) It is the one I chose. Okay, well, my favorite souvenir, as you know, are my stickers. I think of all the stickers I own, my favorite one is the North Korean one because you can see very clearly that it's handmade. It's not produced in any factory, it's handmade. Someone glued this thing together.
1: What is your favorite site or location?
0: My favorite site, well you know what I really really loved, Old Town of Jerusalem in Israel. I mean, it's mm. a special place. It is a special place on earth. You can't deny it. When you go there, you know, just you just understand. You just understand why such why people would fight over it why it's so important it's got that vibe you know you go to the wall and you touch it it's amazing
1: and finally what is your favorite travel app
0: favorite travel app hmm
1: have you just gone to your phone let
0: me t- <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna go on my phone and see get inspired what's my favorite travel app you know I'm kind of, let me go on my, for the travel, I used to be, well, I used to be really, really fond of Skyscanner, but lately I've, and especially now during pandemic, they even have an interactive map of showing where you can and can't go and what restrictions are in place. Hmm. So it's quite good. Like depending on where your location pins, they give you a map, you know, green, red, yellow, et cetera. Right now everything's red <laughs> for, <laughs> for the UK. But you know what, I've been kind of discovering Google flights and I think they've, Their new product, you know, their new interactive map for searching flights, etc. It's kind of growing on me. And I think that might soon become my favorite travel app of all time. Google flights. Because I'm more of a visual, yeah, I'm more of a visual person. If you ask me, you know, oh, which countries border, you know, Ethiopia, I would not be able to tell you. But on the map, I'm like, well, of course I know, you know, like, oh, well, it's there, you know, it's oh, okay. Now I understand the context, you know, I need to see a visual context of things.
1: Okay, great. Well, you smashed those questions, Whitney. Very good. My favorite four. One final point, and then we're out of time. But I've heard you say previously that when you travel, you usually like to go to a new place rather than continuously returning to places you've already been before. So my question is, would you ever go back to North Korea?
0: No, and I don't think they would have me back. Um, <laughs> I think it would be dangerous for me to go back, you know, but I would go, I, I don't oh, just travel to new places. Yes, I travel to new places if the sole purpose is traveling. However, you know, I do often like to go back to stay in some of the places where I've lived. You know, as I said, I lived in seven countries. You know, I love returning to Estonia, for example. It's an absolutely magical place, really. I, I hate the expression, but it is a hidden gem of Europe. And so underrated, incredibly underrated. I go back there, you know, a couple times a year just to recharge my energy, you know. So I would go back to those places where either I have family ties, friend ties, or I've lived before. But if I go for traveling, you know, I wouldn't go to the same place twice.
1: Fair enough. Well, Whitney Saldava, we've reached the end of our time. So I'd just like to say a big thank you very much for coming on the Nostalgic Vagabond podcast. I hope you've had an interesting conversation with me because I've had a very interesting conversation with you.
0: Yes, oh, this was great. Thank you. And honestly, some of the things, you know, I had forgotten and and I really love remembering experiences that I had previously completely pushed out of my mind or complete, completely forgotten. So you've it reinvigorated some great memories. and. Just before this podcast I was actually watching through my old North Korean videos because I'm on TikTok now. You can find me as Vitnia S. That's V I T N I J A S and I'm posting and you know, I'm posting all sorts of videos from my travels. So I thought why not why not feature North Korea next?
1: You're on TikTok, you're also on Instagram. What other platforms are you on, Whitney?
0: You know what? This year I'm gonna focus on TikTok and Clubhouse. Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the new uh, kind of interactive radio. Uh, app. And I absolutely love it for sharing experiences and interacting with other people. It's a great platform.
1: Well, I'll put all that information in the show notes. So people who are listening can find the links at the bottom of the page. Great. Brilliant. All right, Whitney. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you. And have a good Saturday night.
1: Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Nostalgic Vagabond. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation. And if you would like to listen to other interesting talks on travel, there are more podcasts available. Check them out wherever you get your podcasts. And for updates, just follow me at The Nostalgic V. Don't forget, your journey is special. Own it. I've been Alan Hill. Until next time. Hey guys, if you enjoy listening to the Nostalgic Vagabond, why not support the podcast? If you haven't already, subscribe and you'll be notified when new apps drop. You can also support the podcast by leaving a rating or a review on your podcast app. Why not share this episode? Tell your friends about it if something resonated with you. Word of mouth is great promotion. If you're into social media, maybe post a screenshot of the episode or upload the link on your profile so your mates can see what interesting content you've been into lately. All your support comes straight back and helps to keep the travel content and nostalgia of this podcast going. Cheers. So don't forget to subscribe.